All right, welcome back to another episode of the Butterfly Effect Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my new friend, Sabrina. Welcome to the podcast. And today, we're going to be talking about something that, to me, was super shocking. Um, I think a lot of people will get or find it very interesting and shocking that you had this experience as well. Um, so we're going to be getting into a little bit about race today and then talking a little bit about George Floyd and how that honestly historical infamous event like shook a lot of things in our world so get comfy cozy and get ready for a great conversation sabrina can you just kind of tell us who you are um how we came in contact and like a little bit about your background and upbringing i'm sabrina i'm a professor at the u of m or an instructor at the u of m where i'm also a grad student getting my phd um i do media stuff social media mostly um kind of educational content and all of it really rooted in like social justice or um, social equity issues. And my upbringing, um, Mm -hmm. I grew up in a town called Oak Grove, Minnesota. It's near St. Francis, uh, Minnesota, where we both went to high school, (laughs) St. Francis High School. Um, And I think I maybe knew of you in high school, but then just a few months ago, somebody said like, hey, have you heard of this Liana girl? She went to our high school. She's making social media stuff. Um, She seems like she's mixed too. Like maybe you guys would have stuff in common. And I was like, Okay, I'm just gonna like slide into the DMs and like <laughs> see if you want to hang out, you know. So yeah, and here I love today. that. I'm so glad that you did that because I'm like not good at that. I'll see people I'm like, oh, they look so cool. Like I wish I could be their friend, but I get too nervous right, to like right. put myself out yeah. there. Fear of rejection. I'm working on it in therapy, but I really am happy that you did because I feel like that first time we just got coffee and yeah. I even cried during it. Yeah, <laughs> me too. It was just like I it just was like, oh my gosh, like you're just somebody like you have such a great energy first of all, and like you're somebody I felt comfortable opening up with about something that I've not opened up with a lot of people because yeah. I haven't felt comfortable. So it was like this like bond we had. Yeah. And I like to I like to say it's the trauma bond of St. Francis. Yeah, <laughs> real. Yeah. The only people that I'm really still friends with are people of color from, from St. Francis. Yeah, yeah. We're bonded because, wow, what an experience yeah. that we survived. Yeah. You had it longer than I did. I was in and out of there really quick. Yeah. Like You moved to like Blaine? Or? Or I moved to Maple Grove. Oh, so right. still predominantly white, but there was a little bit more seasoning in the yeah mix there (laughs) St. Francis was like very a very interesting situation like Mm -hmm. while I was there I survived it but um definitely when we were talking we I so many memories of things like I suppressed started to come back um so I was hoping you can like kind of start with that like what was your experience in high school Mm -hmm. this was before you found out like your what your your actual race yeah. and identity was yeah. so take me ta- take me back to then and like some of the things that you experienced yeah. um so I also I just want to like start by clarifying because I know there's some like controversy around the whole idea of like finding your family with ancestry DNA and 23andMe um so we'll talk more about that later but my dad was adopted um he's racially ambiguous I'm racially ambiguous Um, And because he's adopted, we didn't know the answer to those questions like, what are you? Where are you from? Um, And you can see kind of generationally our experiences like are less in severity based on our, you know, he's more black than I am. Um, And, you know, he had more like explicit encounters with racism and discrimination where me and St. Francis, it was more like microaggressions like, what are you? Where are you from? Can I see a picture of your parents? Um, I had a nickname, the Samoan girl at one point, and like, I felt weird about it. But like at the time, our our answer to that, what are you, was we're Greek and Italian, because that's what we were told. Um, so yeah, it was kind of just like a guessing game of like, maybe you're Hawaiian, maybe you're this. And I also tanned a lot in high school because mm-hmm. everybody did, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tanning booths, too. Tanning booths, yeah. Back when those The goggles. Um, oh my god. <laughs> the, the bunny, you know. The bunny. Oh, the stickers. I yeah. was so jealous of the girls that had that because I was like, I don't really go tanning, but right. I wanted that yeah. sticker. <laughs> I went tanning, like, and I mean, I'm pretty like brown without going tanning, mm-hmm. but then like, of course, my skin got like... Zuzu. Hi. Oh, he's making an appearance. Do you want to hear the story? Okay. <laughs> he's really sweet, but I can move him if he bothers me. Okay. I'm allergic to cats, but I always, my friends have cats. So we're I'm... not going to have the first ambulance <laughs> called on in this episode. No, no, not like that. Like, just a little bit of sniffles. Oh my gosh, you're uh. cute. <laughs> but yeah, so like, I went tanning a lot in high school, so everybody did, but like, my tan like looked different you know obviously because I'm melanated I know Mm -hmm. now um so people would be like you know how do you get so tan and like why does your tan look like that and things like that I'm like I don't know I'm Italian Italian (laughs) you know like Sicilian maybe (laughs) um 
but yeah really just a lot of that stuff when I think back to high school like not really people wanting to know like about you but more like why are you different right it wasn't like questions like what do you like to do or what does your family like to do it was why does your family look like this um but at the time I didn't I didn't know anything except for it made me feel weird and like uncomfortable and I just wanted mm-hmm. to get through it as quickly as I could and change the subject or move on. Yeah. But yeah, looking back, um, actually like, so whenever we talk about like my family discovery stuff, um, my aunt said to me kind of after we figured out I'm black and not Italian, um, to look back on my life in times that I was in like predominantly white spaces mm-hmm. and think of all the times I probably found the only other brown kids in the room, right? Um, and I look back and I'm like, okay, like the girls I know from high school that were black or mixed, we were friends. And those were the times looking back that I felt the most like authentically me. Wow. You know, to even have that back then. Yeah. And I mean, then looking to like college, you know, still at that point, um, when I was studying abroad in Spain, still, I didn't know that I was, um, black and not Italian. And, you know, my two closest friends in the program, aside from my roommate who I went abroad with, um, they were black girls. Like, <laughs> we just find each other because, oh you know, we're a community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so that already is just, like, giving me goosebumps because <laughs> it's just crazy. I really do think there's this, like, connection that we have yeah. amongst ourselves. Yeah. And it's not because we want to exclude anyone. It's because it's safe to us. Yeah. And it's like this natural thing that we experience, which is really interesting that you've experienced that before you even knew. Yeah. Um, how did you feel when people would miss, categorize your race as like Samoan? Like I know, mm. like that's not even what you would claim either. Right. Did that make you feel any type of way? I mean, at the time, like I honestly didn't even know what Samoa was. Like I didn't yeah. know where it was, you know, what the people looked like. So yeah. I'm like, kind of like what the hell does that mean (laughs) like and looking back I and now know more about the world and like where people and places are I'm like okay that makes sense because I'm tan and like bigger but I don't know I just felt like kind of like the clown or like the oh my god like the spectacle yeah 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 you know like you walk into a space and it's like eyes are on you but it's not because of who you are in here it's who you are out here Um, And I think that's mostly what I felt was just when I heard those things, like, number one, I didn't really understand. Um, And number two, I just wanted it to, like, pass and go away as quickly. But it stuck, you know, that was a nickname for a couple of years. Um, And the kid who made up the nickname has since reached out and been like, what the heck? Like, I'm so sorry. I would punch myself in the face now if I could. Wow. Yeah. Did he see something that, like, you posted about it, how it affected you when he reached out? Or did he just come to that? like terms on his own I'm not sure I think he maybe saw me posting stuff about like my identity journey and Mm. he was one of like the most curious people at the time Um, so I'm sure he was like you know seeing this stuff like that makes sense or whatever Um, but no I'm not really sure why I think he also kind of had an experience of like not fully coming into his identity in St. Francis and now is like blossoming in a space where he's welcomed and accepted and maybe kind of realizing like ooh, like I did that I did Mm -hmm. to somebody what other people did to me absolutely and I also like as I'm sure more stories will come up from being around people who are ignorant and not Mm -hmm. aware of certain things um I'm not bashing anyone from my experience I know we all hopefully grow in life um and I know like this experience when I was in St. Francis we were very young and unfortunately you you're a product of your environment and the people around you. So if your parents who raised you think a certain type of way and you've only been around certain type of people, I can understand why some of this stuff has happened. I'm not minimizing it because it was very damaging to my like self-esteem. However, I want to leave space to say that I understand people like you only know what you know. And I'm just hopeful that people, if you know, that went to St. Francis are seeing this, like, understand and have grown since then, or use this as an opportunity to grow further, um, and understand the, the experiences that people like us went through yeah. by going to that school or being in those spaces. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you came to terms, yeah. um, that your dad found out his true identity, your racial identity, how, how that happened? Yeah, um, So, like I mentioned, my dad um, was adopted, and um, he was adopted into an all-white family in southern Minnesota. It's a town called Fairmont. Um, Mm -hmm. Very rural, Mm -hmm. very white. Yes. Um, So, you know, he's told me stories of, like, being adopted, and the things that were said about him from the moment he was brought into the family were, like, very othering and very acknowledging that he's something other than white. 
Um, so I think my dad met his biological mom when he was like, he was in his 20s. I think I was maybe five. Um, and so she came out here to St. Paul to visit. She lives in New York. Um, the visit didn't really go well. Um, it was kind of awkward and my dad didn't get a lot of questions answered. Um, he did ask, you know, like, I'm obviously like brown, like what's my dad? My, my grandma's also like, um, a white woman. So like looking at her, you're like, okay, this color didn't probably come from you. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's like, tell me about my dad, you know? And she's like, well, I was like promiscuous around the time that you were conceived and it's either a black guy or an Italian guy or like a few of each, um, that could be your dad. And my dad was like, okay, so like, it's true. I'm either black or Italian. Right. Um, so they go their separate ways and, um, my dad just kind of lost touch because he didn't like how the visit went. He didn't really feel like he got much from that relationship. Um, whatever. So I think I was five, like I said, so flash forward 20 years, I'm 25. Um, it's like January of 2020. Um, and my dad was like, Hey, you know, like, I really kind of want to know, like, I'm sick of people asking me and like, I'm in my fifties now. And I just want to be able to answer that question. Um, he's like, so I'm going to take a a DNA test and figure like, is it Italian or black? At least then we'll know something. Um, so he took a DNA test with ancestry. Um, and then he texted me one day and he's like, are you sitting down? (laughs) I'm like, okay, like, no, what? And he's like, just kidding. But like, I got some news for you. Like we're not Italian. Um, and (laughs) and so he sends like the screenshots of what ancestry says. And it's very like sliding scale, what they give you on ancestry number one, um, because, you know, it's just, it's, like, not a certain process that they use or whatever. I'm not sure how, like, determinant it is, if that makes sense. Um, but I think the, the main th- source of ambiguity is that there's not a lot of, um, there's not, like, a full set of documents for them to draw from if you look back on history, right, and, like, the whitewashing of history and mm-hmm. the, the keeping of histories and stories within black communities and stuff. Um, so, yeah, a lot of it's, like, here's a ballpark, but we can't give you, like, an address and a name and stuff like that. Um, so it said you're, like, between uh, 30 and, like, 50% African-American, and your lineage traces back to communities in Virginia on tobacco plantations, like, formerly enslaved um, communities in Virginia, which then traces back to what's, like, today the Nigeria part of Africa, like, West Africa, okay. um, southern Bantu. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, our people go back all the way to West Africa. Wow. We know they were enslaved in Virginia, and somewhere along the line started coming up here to the north, where we are in Minnesota. Um, so it lines up, you know, very well with black history and migration to the north and everything. Um, wow. So then it started popping up with some matches, um, like cousins in the south, Um, And then we found a half-sister my dad had here in Minnesota. Um, So I started chatting with her. And um, then I really wanted to figure out who my grandpa was. Um, So I went on this discovery, um, basically starting, like, when we went into lockdown for the COVID pandemic. Um, And then for, like, a year plus after that, looking for my grandpa, I was getting, like, um, white pages, <laughs> subscriptions, and, like, um, background, like, people search tools oh, and yeah. things like that. Um, and plus, like, I had so much time on my hands, You're you know? Really <laughs> so detective like, on, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I'm gonna find this guy, like, I need to know who he is, um, my dad needs to know who he is, you know, and then maybe we can kind of just, you know, heal some stuff with this information. Um, so, <laughs> buckle up. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was, like, talking to my grandma more, and trying to get some information out of her, but she's obviously pretty secretive about the whole thing, obviously. The that, one in New York or the yes, adoptive? The, okay. So my, my dad's adoptive family, the parents are both dead. Or oh, okay. They've passed away. Okay. Um, so when I talk about my grandparents now, I'm talking about his bio Biological. parents. Got yeah. it. Okay. Um, so she's in New York, yep. So I'm just kind of messaging with her. I think I found her on LinkedIn when I finally, because my dad had like lost touch with her. I got in contact with her. He took the test. He's like, here's the info, whatever, and then matches started popping up, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to talk to Grandma and see, like, you know, she'll give me bits of information. Um, But first I had to find her, because my dad had lost touch with her in those 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I found her on LinkedIn after, like, looking on Facebook, Google, whatever, and I just sent her a message, like, shot in the dark, you know, I think you're my grandma, like, here's the scoop, like, we're not Italian, we're black, and I want some names, you know. Yeah, (laughs) 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 And so she's like, well, you know... 
I think um, I think that the guy's name like, suddenly she remembers one name. You oh, convenient <laughs> uh-huh. flashbacks, huh? <laughs> yeah. Okay, Grandma. Um, <laughs> So she's like, yeah, I think his name was like David Bradley. He was in this band with this, uh, with his brother named Carl. Like, that's all I know. That's all I have for you. I'm like, okay. So I'm looking for maybe somebody named Carl or David Bradley. Um, so I just start looking up names on those like, uh, white pages sites and stuff. Um, finding people here in Minneapolis. Cause she said it was a band in Minneapolis. Oh, um, why did she start with that? Yeah, well, she she just said it was like a band in Minneapolis that she, she moved from Minneapolis to New York. Yeah, so she's okay. based in uh, like the Twin Cities. Has my dad moves out to New York? Okay, uh-huh. got it. Um, yeah, <laughs> like let me know. I feel like I need like a timeline. No, that, that to, was like, just my brain. Like, how wouldn't you start with the band? Yeah, in yeah, <laughs> yeah. So she tells me like you know it was a guy in a band in the cities. These are the names. This is all I have, and I'm like okay. So I'm looking for, like, Carl Bradley um, on white pages, and I find, you know, like, a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, and I'm trying to, like, add up the timelines, and I find this, like, 70-something-year-old guy um, in Minneapolis. I'm like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll call him and see, just, like, (laughs) cold calling, like, are you my grandpa? (laughs) Um, So I seriously feel like that Dr. Seuss book at this point. We're like, are you my grandpa? Are you my grandpa? So, yeah, I call this number up. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm looking for my grandpa. I hear you were in a band with him. His name is David Bradley. And, like, I guess he was your brother. Do you have a brother named David? And he's like, I'm sorry, honey. Like, I don't have any brothers uh, named David. Um, My only brother is whatever, like, George or something. Um, We hang up, and I'm like, great. That was, like, my one, you know, that was my one uh, clue or whatever um, to keep this search going. And it's a dead end. So I just kind of sit there for a second few minutes go by and my phone rings and it's Carl so I answer and I'm like you know like hey you know and he's like I realized like you're not looking for Dave Bradley you're looking for David Brady Dave Brady was the lead singer of the band I was in in the 60s he wasn't my brother but like you know how like black guys say bro bro like yeah I'm guessing maybe my grandma heard them say like this is my brother yeah and she, my, yeah yeah oh um and so I'm like, okay, so David Brady, like, that's my grandpa, um, I think, maybe, right? So I start looking him up. Um, I figure out he's the lead singer of this band they were in. Um, so I talk to Carl more, and I get some more information about what he was like. Um, Carl tells me this kind of sad story that um, my grandpa ultimately, or we'll call him Dave at this point, Dave ultimately, like, ended up into, um, he called it counterculture. So, like... Um, you know, in the music industry, like, you can kind of go the wrong way, and he got into more, like, psychedelics and stuff like that, um, so he tells me that, um, in the early 2000s, some radio stations in the Twin Cities and some media outlets were looking for Dave Brady, the lead singer of that band, because they were trying to get all the guys back together for this, like, Hall of Fame induction ceremony, um, I think it might have been, like, KDWB and some local, um, media entities, uh, they were looking for Dave, and they just couldn't find him. So um, Carl's like, the last time we heard of him, you know, it was like maybe the 80s, and then he kind of just fell off the face of the earth, really. Like, oh, he wasn't wow. the same. Um, and that's kind of the story I got from everybody. Like, I started calling all these other people I figured were in the band with him, um, and they all just gave me, like, tidbits of information about what he was like. Um, were they helpful? Like, did they want to share about it, or how were they? They were, they- like, a little bit... Um, a little skeptical at first, but then the more I explained, the more they shared. And also it was so long ago that some of them didn't have, like, yeah. all the memories or, like, it would come back to them later. Yeah. Um, so it kind of seemed like I had, like, half of a story about a person. Um, and so, yeah, I just kept looking and I ended up finding a lot of, like, archived newspapers, um, clips, you know, about him and his band. Um, and so then I just started searching on Facebook Dave Brady and the Stars, because I figured, like, well, I posted on Facebook about finding my grandpa was in this band, like, what if somebody else did? Um, so then up pops this Facebook post that says, like, my dad, Dave Brady, or the lead singer of Dave Brady and the Stars, like, gave me my love of music, da-da-da-da. And I'm like, wait, so this lady is posting that Dave is her dad, 
that means she's my aunt. That means so I'm like I think I just found another sibling of my dad. Oh um, my gosh. But you know, like on Facebook, if you message somebody you're not friends with, it goes to that like request. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, if I send her a request, she's never she's never gonna see it. So I I'm like I'm a comment on this post and say like, yes. hey, I think you're my aunt. Check your DMs. <laughs> like oh I can't be bothered. Hey, I was thinking, you know, at least it's not like, hey, girl, you want to buy some skin yeah. hair? <laughs> My new hair product. Yeah. So. No shade. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I messaged her. I wrote that on the comments, and, like, right away she read my message, and I, like, told her, like, hey, you know, I think you're my dad's sister. I'm looking. I gave her, like, some of the story I just told you, and she was just like, like, hey, wow, like, yeah, let's talk. Oh, my um, gosh. So we started talking, and then, of course, we wanted to confirm with DNA. So she um, she had previously done a 23andMe test. And like I said, my dad did Ancestry. So those are two separate databases yep. that would have never, like, interfaced. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So she went ahead and did an Ancestry one and right away matched your sibling, their half-siblings. Um, so there's, and then she also matched with the other sister my dad previously matched with. So all three of them are half siblings. Um, so yeah, we all started talking and, um, this aunt, her name's Mecca. Um, seriously, like, I can't even explain to you, like, all the connections we have and, like, this relationship we've built ever since. Um, and so we've kind of just been, like, growing this family ever yeah. since then. Ever since the, hey, are you my aunt? I keep getting goosebumps <laughs> this episode. It's <laughs> just so awesome. Oh my, and so that's the aunt that you've been really close with since Yeah, the then. other one's in Duluth, and okay. we, like, kind of have talked, but she's got, like, a complicated life, and we just haven't really been able to connect as much, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. hopefully, maybe someday, yeah. that would be great. Yeah. How is your dad feeling with all of this during this time? Yeah, um, at first, you know, he didn't really, like, he didn't seem, like, super interested, kind of just like, okay, cool, like, wow, I have a sister, um, it's, it's almost like he... He needed time to process it, and the more his brain, like, I don't know, buffered or something, like, the more things set in, and, like, the deeper he reflected on experiences, and it gave him a new lens to look at his life with. Um, So, going back to his adoption, um, he told me that in his teens, he learned that when he was brought home, the grandma in the family asked, why did you bring home a little N-word baby? And the parents were quick to explain, well, no, here in his information, in his papers, because they give you a paper that's like, here's your new son. His biological father is, and it said, of Swedish and German background. Um, It said nothing about his dad being a black man in a band. It said he was like a, he worked at like a printing shop or something, and he, he enjoyed music. It didn't say anything about the legacy he was, you know. Um, oh my god. Yeah, so, um, then, you know, so my dad's, like, telling me these stories from when he was a kid of, like, you know, he got beat up at the bus stop, kids calling him the N-word, or, um, he even said that when he was, like, uh, a little kid, his mom, his adoptive mom, would scrub his knees in the kitchen sink in the summertime with, like, Ajax, like a cleaning solution, because she thought his knees were dirty, she doesn't know that a little black boy is going to get real dark in the summer or like a mixed boy, you know? Um, so his knees weren't dirty. They were just black. <laughs> With Ajax. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So like in the most literal sense, my dad was whitewashed like by the family that that took him in. Um, Literally. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the best like analogy I can give you is like that's what happened to him growing up, you know? Like his papers weren't true. His... Um, you know, when people asked why he was tan, the answer was he's Greek and Italian. So oh my what do you think happens to a kid who grows up, like, searching for something that they never get to find the answer to, like, who they are, why their experience is this way? So his whole, you know, 50-plus years, he's looking back over, like, holy shit, this is because I was black. This is because I was you black. You have to unpack everything again. Yeah, and, like, for me, looking back, you know, I only have 25 years, and I can look back at... Um, you know, going back to St. Francis, one time a kid, um, I kind of liked this senior boy, you know, I was like maybe a junior at the time. Again, real tan, um, like in the winter months in Minnesota. So come into this kid's house and he's like, hey, this is Sabrina, um, to his parents. Hey, mom and dad, this is Sabrina. Don't worry. She's not black. That's how they introduced her. Don't worry. She's not black. Yeah. And like, I can, I can put myself back in that entryway, standing at the bottom of their stairs. They're on the stairs. We're talking to them. 
And I just felt myself, like, shrink. Like, do I explain that I'm Italian? Do I, what do I, you know? And I felt some type of way in that moment. And now looking back, I'm able to identify what I was feeling, why I was feeling that. And, you know, again, that's 25 years. My dad had 50 years to look back on. So just a lot of, like, reanalyzing our um, experiences and our um, our upbringings with, like, the full picture in mind. Um, and, yeah, a lot of stuff like that comes out, and it's, it's really messed up. How... I can't, like, I'm just think, putting myself in that position because it was already enough to unpack being biracial, but I knew I was biracial. Yeah. I knew what the two races were <laughs> yeah. that I was growing up, yeah. and it was still a lot to unpack with knowing that information. Yeah. Now, I'm trying to put myself in a position like you or your father mm-hmm. and not, like, thinking one thing and then unpacking it and having mm-hmm. to relearn and having to do it all during a time where there's so much shit going yeah. on around us. Yeah. Like, there's always shit going on, but I feel like you found this out in 2020 at the at the beginning of, like, this huge civil rights movement continuation yeah. that we're going through right now. Like, yeah. oh, my gosh. And so, I forget, sorry, did your dad live with you in Oak Grove? Like, were your parents... No. No, So, yeah. I should explain this part because I think it's kind of important um, to, like, why this was so big for our family. Um, so, my mom and dad were married until I was, like, second or third grade. They separated, and then my dad moved down to St. Paul um, on Maryland Avenue, if you know where that is. Um, I think so. Yeah. It's, like, right off the yeah. highway. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, I did the whole every other weekend and Wednesdays with my dad. And then, I think, like, fifth grade, my mom started dating my stepdad, um, so then my mom was living at this point in Wyoming, Minnesota, which is near Forest Lake. Okay. Um, and my stepdad was living in Oak Grove. And so my mom sold her house in Wyoming. We moved to Oak Grove with my stepdad. And then my dad was still, we're still going to my dad's house for a while. But then in sixth grade, yeah, cause I was already at St. Francis at this point. Um, my dad was arrested. Um, and so he was in jail for several years of my time in St. Francis. Wow. And then, so now like. In this stage of my life, my dad is my stepdad. Got you. Mm-hmm. Definitely understand. Yeah. Okay, thank you for clarifying yeah, yeah. that piece. And, like, so then your siblings, all the siblings you have are with your stepdad. Um. So my stepdad had two daughters from his previous marriage. Okay. And then my dad has, like, a bunch of... Me and my brother, are, we have uh, the same mom and dad. Oh, your brother. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then my dad has two other kids from after that. Is um, your brother as racially ambiguous as well? Or? Kind of. Um, he's lighter. Like, he's pretty white-looking in his okay. skin tone, but, like, his um, facial features are really black. Okay. Um, and his hair is very textured. Um, like, people, my, my aunt that I found said if she looks at me and my brother, she can see him. Like, that's a black man right away. Mm-hmm. And me, it's more like, oh, maybe she's Latina or... Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How was your brother's experience in St. Francis? Um, he hasn't talked a lot about, yeah. like, how the racial component um, came into play, because he has a disability, and that was another mm-hmm. thing. Like, That's he had a very bad experience there, being, you know, n- neurodivergent and disabled. Mm. Um, mm. So he ended up going to a different school in high school, because he was bullied so much there. Just, I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. Very um, lack of understandings there. Oh, yeah. On yeah. many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that he had a better experience somewhere else. Me too. Uh, <laughs> that makes me really happy. Um, can you talk about how you navigated your newfound identity? Like, yeah. So after you came to this information, yeah. like, I'm sure, like, walk us through, like, the first moments and, like, how yeah. it blossomed from there. You know, like, like I said, it was, so this was, like, months before everything happened with George Floyd's murder um, and the protests and all that. And, like, at the time, I guess kind of like my dad, I didn't really... I was kind of like, okay, like, that kind of makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. looking back. And it took a while for things to start kind of spinning in my head and, and clicking. And I honestly attribute that to everything that came out of the aftermath of George Floyd's murder because, you know, I grew up in predominantly white spaces, mm-hmm. so my understanding of racial issues was the same as theirs, you know. Um, and so just being... I guess, like, forced to learn everything, because everybody, you know, wanted to read and learn and do better, and I was right there along with everybody, and then realizing, you know, I learned in a training at school, because, you know, of course, like, everybody did diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings and discussions, and um, so in a training I was doing for my job at the university, there was, like, a role-play situation, and it was, like, you know, Susie Q is multiracial, and, like, in the lunchroom, people always ask her about, like, 
um, or people more frequently ask her about like her racial and ethnic background, like identify what the situation is. And a microaggression was one of them. And I was like, wait a minute, like when people ask what you are, like that actually is something. Wow. So yeah, things like that, like as I'm learning about these things, because collectively, you know, we're trying to be better, I'm realizing, crap, I experienced a lot of this yeah. and I didn't even, I couldn't even identify it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember at our conversation, I yeah. just like, that's what brought it back. I was like, there's so many things I experienced at yeah. St. Francis that I didn't even realize yeah. was a microaggression because all I wanted to do was fit in. Yeah. All you wanted to do was fit in. Yeah. And I knew I could never perfectly fit in because no matter what I did with my hair no matter what like what clothes I wore I was still brown and I was still gonna be darker than everyone else I went to school with um and I just wanted anything that I could do to change and make myself more accepting white passing whatever I did I just and I remember hearing those comments and that's like really made me emotional like oh your hair like your hair would be so pretty if it was longer or oh my goodness like you're so tan but don't get any darker like things like that and I just and I remember like keeping that in my head like oh you're you should have a bigger butt because you're black like just down to those type of things date people I dated talk they would be bullied for dating me and be like oh she has and talk about the color of my genitals like you weirdo like it I mean that's just high school stuff but it's like it was a new level yeah because they the the key factor was they wanted to bring my race into it and like the second somebody didn't like me I was an n-word but before then they were my best friend yeah it was just tons of yucky situations like that that I was like wow I really went through that Um, I suppressed them for sure um was there any struggles that you experienced embracing your black um identity Mm. Um, yeah, you know, because of being mixed and being light-skinned, um, I was really unsure of how to navigate embracing my identity and worried about taking up space (coughs) that might not be mine. Yeah. Um, and I was afraid of how people would react, like, nobody has the full story like I do, so, you know, it's hard to explain, like reanalyzing your your own situation and like learning your own situation in a new way and stuff like mm-hmm. pe- it's very nuanced and people like just sometimes don't have the understanding to be able to receive it mm-hmm. yeah I was scared I was scared to take up space um and then I ultimately was like no this is my space that's been kept from me and I'm gonna boldly occupy it yeah I love that <laughs> I love that um was there any challenges with your mom finding it because like I feel it. I'm not sure how much involved in the process she was while you were like getting your Nancy Drew on. (laughs) She was helping me a lot. We love that. We love that. (laughs) Um, I think I get my Nancy Drew from my mom. (laughs) Oh yes. Um, You know, I mean, she's she's white. Obviously, like a lot. My black friends joke like I'm the white, the mixed kid with the white mom. Like, um, and it's it's a real thing. You know, you you grow up with more proximity to whiteness and all that, and so. I think it was hard for my mom at first to understand, like, why it was so, um, don't get me wrong, like, she was supportive Mm -hmm. and wanted me to find out this information, but then when I did, she was, it was hard for her to get why it was so, like, it was like a revelation for me, you know, like, a transformation of who I am and how I can fully become myself, and she was kind of just like, oh, I just thought we were finding some family, you know, Um, but she she gets that she doesn't get it, and she really tries to. But of course, you know, having a white mom and white aunts, like, there are things, there's microaggressions that come from them, and so I guess, like, the the one thing is, like, I post jokes a lot on my TikTok, like, about, like, white people and white families saying things that they say, and, like, that hasn't gone over the best, but other than that, they try to learn, and that's all I can ask. Do, what do they... They feel offended by it? Yeah, like, oh, this is about us. Like, this makes our, this makes your white side look bad and stuff like that. And it's like, it's not about you. Yeah, and the shoe fits. You look I'm that great. And also, if it fits, yeah. like, change it. You know, lace that shit up yeah. and do better. <laughs> Get a new pair of shoes yeah. because I, we didn't put that on your foot. No, I got you with that one. I remember, well, we'll get into it in a little, in a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Um, so take me into where you were at in your journey when when the infamous uh, historical event of George Floyd being murdered close to home Mm. and like I never in a million years thought it would happen somewhere Mm. in Minnesota because for some reason Minnesota felt safe to me even though I did experience what I experienced it just was never on that level 
Um, so I know I felt really shocked, but take me through where you were at and how yeah. that kind of unfolded. Um, I think at first, um, like when the riots started happening, I kind of had the same, like, there was a lot of people like incorrectly quoting Martin Luther King, you know, when he talks about like peaceful protesting and keeping peace when we, you know, like fight for racial justice. But um, we now know that those those quotes were taken out of context. And I feel like at the beginning, I kind of had that question of like, why, why does it have to be violent? Why did there have to be destruction? And then the more I just sat with the pain that, you know, this has been happening, like people have, people have been dying at the hands of police. And this is the time that we are forced to watch it because we're all in lockdown. We're watching the news every day. Um, I think this was when I realized, like, no, actually Martin Luther King said that riots are the language of the unheard. And that's why people are, like, people were pissed. You know, they've been saying, you know, this isn't fair. Life, the, this system isn't fair. And now people care about it a little bit. Um, so, like, at first, my reaction was that, you know, like, well, couldn't we have a conversation, whatever, and then the more I understood and researched and just, you know, like, learned about my own dad's experience in U.S. systems being incarcerated and being mm -hmm. kept in the system, still today, he's in the system in New York, and seeing and understanding, like, this is what happened to George Floyd, and now also I'm learning all this information about disproportionate rates of incarceration and all this, that we're not taught in St. Francis High School's history class, like, look at these rates of white people versus black people in jail. Like, this is systemic racism. Hell no, we didn't learn that. We're right? we, they just tell you the facts so you make your own implications and you think it's because, oh, you're all those negative stereotypes that mm -hmm. we hear all the mm -hmm. time and it reinforces it because they don't properly teach you how to read data and where this stems from. Exactly. Yeah. And so being, like, you know, collectively forced to reckon with this racial injustice um, and learning then, you know, all this stuff that followed, I realized my dad was another guy in the, in this racist system. And I didn't even understand that. Um, and so that is really, that was a big moment for me of like, I was able to forgive my dad for being incarcerated because I realized it wasn't his, it wasn't entirely his fault. Yeah, he did a bad thing but he didn't kill anybody and nobody got hurt yet. He's having the outcome, you know, a similar years of people who killed someone. Um, and so I started to realize, wow, there was so much more at play than I knew and that I could even understand at the time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So then, okay. So George, talk, can you tell me a little bit more? Cause I, I can also share about this yeah. when, um, George Floyd was murdered and like I feel like there people were rightfully upset as we said people were drawing lines in the sand yeah. for me I was very cold and dry I was done with it I was yeah. like I've experienced so much of this shit in my life um, and I'm not I don't even have it out of the worst I have a lot of privilege mm -hmm. and I've been able to blend in, in a lot of white spaces yeah. but I've seen it and I've felt it and I know there's a lot of shit going on um, and when George Floyd was murdered and people were in support of it, I was, I knew where I felt safe. And then the people who were in support of police and Blue Lives Matter, yeah. I remember thinking, you are so off the ball here. I have no interest in teaching you. Yeah. I have no interest in keeping you in my life. Yeah. And I cut a lot of people out. And I don't regret it at yeah. all, personally. Um, I do hope that people have grown and learned since then. But, like, I am happy. And I'm, I made that line very cut and dry. Mm. How did you do... Or how was that for you? Yeah. Um, I had the same... Um, like I said, it took me some time to learn and to get to the point of... I mean, I was down there, you know, protesting and helping mm -hmm. cleaning up and all that. But it was some time until I was unpacking all of this on, like, a intellectual level, too. Mm -hmm. Um... And so at first, you know, I was like engaging in conversations with people on Facebook, um, I think from an uninformed perspective at that point. Um, and the more informed I became, the more I got to that point of realizing how my life had been impacted by, you know, anti-blackness and white supremacy. And it's so insidious that I didn't even realize it was impacting my life. So once I got to that point of trying to share my story and um, you know, wanting to do something, um, to kind of like, I guess like 
be in my community for the first time in 25 years and like do something in this tragedy for my community I felt like I could talk to the people that um, weren't understanding and I tried to engage in conversation and educate them once I was more informed Um, sometimes people started to get it and sometimes I had to delete and block too because there was a lot of just you know small-mindedness and um, inability to expand your understanding and worldview um so i cut a lot of people off too um and then i also tried to again have patience with people who grew up in spaces like we did Mm -hmm. um realizing that they don't have that personal level to be able to understand these you know we can look at big numbers of how many people are killed by police each year um how many black men versus white men are incarcerated and stuff like that but when unfortunately when it's on a personal level it hits you deeper and faster Um, So I've tried to have patience with people who don't get it, knowing that, you know, with the privilege I have, being able to pass for white like nine months out of the year sometimes, (laughs) or like, you know, depending on how long summer is, um, I feel like it's my place to talk to white people and get tired from talking to white people because black women who aren't ambiguous have to be exhausted every day in their interactions in a way that I don't experience. Wow. I I like how you put that because I was um I was just gonna give you kudos before you said that last piece of you doing the work and having the patience to teach people because I think that's beautiful and I think a lot of this could be resolved if people took the time to yeah. learn more, mm-hmm. um, took the time to meet new people outside of their everyday circle. Like, the world is too small to live in the same town your whole life. Yeah. Like, if that's what you want to do, do it. But go travel and at least get to explore and open your mind to more yeah. things. But I, So I, ta- I, I give you kudos for taking time to do that because I'm sure a lot of people's ha- lives have been changed for that and their perspectives have changed. I felt how I felt, like, kind of what you're saying. I felt exhausted. Yeah. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. This seems like common sense to me. Like, we've mm-hmm. been doing this for years. This isn't new. You yeah. know, another man dying is not, shouldn't be the the cam, or the or straw that broke the camel's back on you realizing that this is wrong. Yeah. I just felt so exhausted. I'm like, if you don't get it yet, you don't get it. And so mm-hmm. I was at that point where I cut it out. So I do give you kudos for that. And I think that's incredible that you kept doing it because that's not easy work either, mm-hmm. especially when people don't want to open their mind yeah. and learn. Yeah. Um, what were some of the biggest misconceptions that you felt like you were fighting? Um, when I started sharing my own story of... Um, you know what's what happened in my family with incarceration and sorry (laughs) delaney okay all right we're back (laughs) um when i first started sharing my experience and my story and like the things i was learning kind of like in real time um some of my friends weren't um understanding or willing to like accept this growth and transformation in me personally um and then i realized a lot of people have a small understanding of what blackness is or a monolithic understanding of what blackness is um because i don't fit stereotypes that they have in their head of what what is black um they were unwilling to receive me as you know mixed race black and white right i'm not either or i'm both um Mm -hmm. and it was very hard for people to wrap their heads around the fact that melanin comes in all shades and you know black culture is different depending on the family and and the space that you're in um so i just realized it was gonna be hard sometimes to share my story with people who i thought were my friend but actually only were friends with who they deemed a version acceptable. of you yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah i actually had a friend who like was asking her a white friend who was asking um her like one or two black friends about my experience asking if it was okay that i was identifying as mixed or black and then one of her friends came into my dms asking all these questions about like when did you start identifying as black and like accusing me of um like like now that it's trendy to be black like you're flexing your blackness and things like that and I, I quickly was able to trace the dots back to this was one of my friends you know I could see they were following each other um oh wow and yeah and so basically weaponizing a black person to speak this monolithic um you know stereotype of blackness to me to reinforce the idea that I shouldn't be 
Yeah, it was, wow. it was disgusting. Yeah. A friend. A friend. Two. Mm-hmm. How, did you confront her? I did. I, I think I went about it a little immaturely at the time. I was um, so angry. Um, I don't know if there's a way you could do that immature. <laughs> that was pretty fucked it up. Was, it was. Um, I posted... Before I talked with my friend about it, I posted on my Instagram story about what was happening. I didn't say their name. Mm-hmm. I didn't... Um, I don't think there was any identifying information or anything. Um, but then quickly, you know, she became the victim because I was cyberbullying by sharing the story. And I should have just came to her first, which I maybe should have. Um, but but yes. I felt it was worth saying that, you know, this is how people are going to react when you... Uh, embrace like a, a more nuanced identity um, some people can only see part of it you know um, so that was rough and we're still you know I, I still feel a distance in that friendship she's apologized since and that's good and yeah and she's you know like learned more about multiracial identities and stuff but like you can't really come back from that no no you can't and did she know the whole journey that you went on no okay People, that doesn't give it a reason. I'm just curious. I was like, how can you still... And so she well, has to know now. She knew about me finding my family, right? Um, and the, like, you know, find my grandpa and my aunts. But she didn't know about my dad being incarcerated mm-hmm. and, like, the generational trauma. This was also exposing. Um, so, like, as I shared that with her, she was like, I didn't know that was your experience and I'm sorry. And, you know, but, like, I shouldn't have had to give you my full story for you to then accept my identity, Exactly. Right? You don't have to give a resume to qualify for that. What? <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness. Um, well, I'm sorry that happened to you. Thank and you. And that's that's really shitty, especially coming from a friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's really shitty and unfortunate. I there was a lot of friends that like I felt didn't support me during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would want them ha- to wanted them like during to do. the summer of 2020. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like didn't and it wasn't just about sharing something on your Instagram story like that was the bare minimum yeah. you could do yeah. but I definitely noticed who even didn't even do that yeah and that stood out to me I yeah. remember and it, maybe that's silly because not everyone that's their way of contributing and showing but I feel like in today's age it is a way that yeah. you're at least showing you're in support of a cause yeah um and I don't know you notice some things like that um I think actually I want to say more on that please. because I think um so before, you know, like, let's say May of 2020, because that's when everything, May, like, 25th was when everything went, you know. Um, before that, I was very heavily involved in a pyramid scheme, we'll call it what it is, um, with people from our hometown. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of my background, uh, my educational background, wanting to be a dermatologist and stuff, um, I was really, like, I felt called to sell this skincare stuff because it worked really well for me. Um, but I quickly learned what a pyramid scheme is and these fake friendships and really toxic environments. Um, Mm -hmm. and I have this very distinct memory of being down at this beautiful gathering. Um, it was in the parking lot where, uh, like the target, uh, like Lake and I forget the the intersection, but where everything was happening. Mm -hmm. Like, um, there was this like parking lot with a, a target, and the National Guard was posted up there, and, like, it was intense, but there was this beautiful stage that somebody came up from the South and made. Everybody signed it and wrote messages to George Floyd, and it was, like, the most multicultural gathering I've ever seen, like, all types of people, and people were praying together, and then they were, like, worshiping and singing together, and, like, but it wasn't, like, it was about, like, a certain God or a certain belief. It was just, like, this is community, and we need to collectively heal and be together. And I have this memory of being there and, like, just this encounter that I won't forget. And at the same time, I'm getting Facebook messages from this group with these girls in this pyramid scheme. Like, it's month end. We got to hit our goals. We got to sell our products. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you bitches care about selling products right now when, like, somebody was just murdered in our streets by our police? Like... I don't care if I meet month end right Right. now, right? Like, wait, open your eyes. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. And so, like, and I said something, like, you know, this is going on right now. Like, I'm I'm sorry, but I just don't really care right now about this. Good. Um, And they were quick to, like, just all the things that you expect to hear from somebody who's so ignorant and privileged in that type of moment of, like, yeah, we get that this is happening, but also we can't stop living our lives. And, like, this girl was, like, uh posting on her Instagram story about how she was so close to getting a Mercedes with this pyramid scheme if she could reach, you know, the month-end goals. 
Like, on May 27th, two days following George Floyd's murder. A Mercedes. I'm so close to this car. Um, yeah. Wow. And I'm sure they didn't use their platforms to talk Nothing. about anything else. Didn't say a thing. Yuck. Yeah. Yuck. Yeah. So that, like, that sticks with me of, like, I thought you were somebody in my life who I could look up to, right? Like, you're my team leader or the people who were the team leaders and didn't say anything like what you just said, it became apparent of like who cared and who didn't very, very, you know. Because they didn't have to. It doesn't affect them. Right. For them, life does go on. Yeah. Life doesn't really get affected that much. For people like us, even though we weren't killed, our family member wasn't killed, it opens our eyes. We have to change the way we move yeah. in our comforts of our own state. Yeah. They'll never have to experience no, that. They never. don't have to. Never. Like, they don't have to look at a police officer and be like, am I next? Right. And quite frankly, they don't even have to look at a black person and confront their implicit bias because there's nobody around they them. Don't, they don't keep anybody in their circle that doesn't look like them. Exactly. Stay. I stay away from people like that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm so sorry you had to oh, go through that. Go Saints. Yeah, go <laughs> Fighting Saints. Oh my gosh. Ew. Um, how, so after like you called them out on their like ignorance and not even acknowledging like this national worldwide yeah. craziness that is happening in our backyard. Yeah. Um, what happened after that? I stayed involved for a while. You with, did? Okay. Yeah. Like I tried to have conversations and I also like one thing I realized about myself is I always assume that the other person like has this, the understanding, you know, of like these issues and like human rights issues and, or that they care about it. So like I, went into the interactions assuming still that they're on my level and kept realizing I need to not have that assumption because yeah. it's painful to realize, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, so, you know, talking to them about how I want to use my platform to talk about issues of social and racial justice, um, and I didn't see if it... I couldn't see alignment anymore with the, with the company or whatever, and I was expressing that, but they were saying, like, well, no, like, you can still use your platform. I've been seeing the things you've been doing, and, like, it does align with the company or whatever. So I kept listening, and I kept trying to push through it. Um, and I think maybe almost a year went by. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think it was almost a year before um, I finally resigned from the business because um, I had started, like, sharing some of my experiences online. Um, I actually wrote an article about them for an academic publication about, like, um, exploiting, like, feminism or feminist, like, um, messages to sell the business and things like that. And, like, a year after my article was out, they finally caught wind of it because <laughs> they're not reading the academic Yeah, they're articles. not reading really <laughs> 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 so, oh, That's funny. Um, so, yeah, then, like, the corporate office was like, we see that you've been, like, talking online about your, like, I think they said, like, slander. Um, and so, like, if I don't take down those posts, then they'll terminate me. And I was like, I'm just terminating myself. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually gone, so don't worry about it. Yeah. Sugar. <laughs> Ew. And then the girls afterward, not very nice. No, they. I don't think we've talked really since. In what ways, though, like, shifting a little bit more now towards, like, post-George Floyd mm-hmm. and, like, how you really started to get involved? Because you're, I would say, like, you're super involved in your community or you could start, like, mm-hmm. you, you're motivating me to want to get more involved so like in which ways have you like broadened your horizon for the movement and like what Mm -hmm. have you been doing since um well first like I said I had to learn like you know I grew up whitewashed and I needed to deepen my um identity and my understanding of these issues and the more I was able to understand um kind of generational trauma in black communities and Um, how, you know, our ancestors' traumas passed down. Like, there's actually scientific proof of this, like, genetically now. Yeah, Um, And so, I guess, like, with that, um, so I'll just say a little more about that. I was able to figure out that my grandpa actually has a mental illness, um, and my dad does, too. Um, I don't know that my grandpa's is diagnosed, but um, my dad and him, like, have very similar... um, like the descriptions people gave of him were things like, you know, he got angry at the drop of a hat or his mood would flip like a light switch and things like that. And my dad has bipolar disorder. So I was able to connect some dots in that way. Um, my brother has similar diagnosis. So like very generationally, you know, connecting what's being passed down um, on, the, on the male side specifically, and then also um, encounters with US systems. That was also a generational thing among the men on that side. Um, 
So the more that I figured out my own family, the more I wanted just like our country and our world to be aware of these issues because like like I said before, even when it's happening to you, you can not know it because of how white supremacy functions. Um, so I started just, you know, getting involved as best as I could, like, um, you know, first attending workshops and learning about like how to go about anti-racist education in my job as an instructor at the U of M. Like I teach Spanish classes. We talk um, in the higher level classes about like media representation. So first, like how can I help my students deconstruct these stereotypes, um, you know, in the language classroom? So we'll talk about things like, um, you know, think about like how you see um, indigenous culture in the U.S. represented. Um, and often, you know, it's like braids and beads and feathers and like um, tribal, you know, like chanting and songs. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That's the representation. Um, so we talk about things like that and how to like broaden your understanding of a community because there's not just one type of a, an indigenous person or a black person. So first that in my teaching um, and then starting to bring some of that to my social media, like talking about issues of you know, being mixed or, um, you know, connecting with your family and things like that. Um, and then also like figuring out how to support people who are already doing this work, like this shirt here. Yeah, um, show it off! <laughs> it says, teaching black history is not CRT. Um, and this is by Alfred's Laundry. If you look him up on Instagram, he has super sick t-shirts. Like stuff like that, just like buying shirts like this that I can wear on yes. the daily. And from black people, you know. Yeah. Um, keeping money in our communities rather than going to Amazon quick when I need something. Like it's going to take more time, sure, to find like a small owned, black owned business. But let's let's build wealth from the inside, the you know. The impact is greater. Yeah. yeah. Um, so stuff like that. Um I started doing, like, I knew I was good at marketing and media from my pyramid scheme, so I thought, like, how can, <laughs> I, <laughs> how can I bring this work to, like, other spaces? Yes. Um, so I started just getting involved with, like, different projects that have social justice or, like, equity missions. Um, and so now I'm working with my new aunt that I found with Ancestry DNA. Um, we've grown this amazing nonprofit, the BIPOC Foodways Alliance. Um, that's all about storytelling through food and keeping stories in communities. Um, another one I'm involved with is it's in Kansas. It's for Spanish speakers who don't have access to like good um, interpretations in the medical setting. Um, so like it doesn't really matter what the context is. It's just like is this project like doing something to Pushing make more equity? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've just been involved that way and just like you know on a simpler level like following more black creators and educators mm -hmm. um so that my instagram timeline wasn't just like all white people yeah. from my childhood That's, <laughs> um, do you have some favorite ones that you'd like to share out i really like glow graphics um she she's changed her content a little bit but she's a creator like a teacher um she posts stuff about um like being a black woman and like hair and things like that um mixed in america is a really good one they talk about like the duality of being mixed um and you, i'm following all of these yeah <laughs> so yeah um there's a lot i could tell you um angel marie um she's a black like business coach um and she's actually like just went full-time independent like from her main hustle yes Angel. Um, she makes content about like um like faith-based content stuff like that so like it doesn't even have to be like you know black people aren't just going to talk about being black yeah but like there's so much finding more. somebody who is black who does something i want to learn about too you know yes yeah. that part i like that and if you think of any more just text me them i yeah, can I put will. them all in for the sure. a description notes what advice do you have for someone who either is going through something similar that mm. you have been going through because unfortunately i'm sure you're not alone with yeah, that yeah um so what advice do you have for them or someone who just wants to learn more that mm. is um an ally and is was unaware of their ignorance and yeah. like wants to be wants to be better um for the first part of the question for people who might be exploring like their identities whether it's mixed um with blackness or with any you know mm -hmm. mixed in any way right um learning to um explore your identity knowing that people aren't always going to understand and that they don't have to understand because it's your identity um and really really connecting with people who look like you and people who um, sound like you and move through the world like you, you know, 
um, because the more of you you see around you, the more of you that you understand. Um, mm. So I think that representation really does matter. It does. Um, and getting connected. Like, I, I think that I've, th- the most powerful thing for me has been, like, last weekend I went to a um, writer, it was a weekend writing intensive for black artists and writers in the Twin Cities area. Um, and it was all, like, black and mixed race people the most beautiful environment I've ever been in, the most accepting, like, people had curves like me, people had curly hair like me, you know, like, so just, you know, don't give up that you have to fit into a box that society says you have to fit in, because those boxes don't, in those boxes should be circles, and, and they weren't built for you, they weren't built for you, yeah, um, and then for people who are, you know, trying to learn, and are, you know, still learning, Remembering that learning is a lifelong process and that we have to unlearn in order to learn. Um, so, like, I have another one of these shirts from Alfred's Laundry that says, unlearn that shit, because that's what we got to start <laughs> with, one. you know? <laughs> I need that one. Yeah, like, constantly challenging. Like, you know, if you pass somebody on the street, like, let's say you see a black man and he's wearing a gold chain and, like, gold jewelry, jewelry and stuff, and, like, if you instantly think, like, oh, that's a basketball player or something, like, that's not even, like, a... You know, that's not, like, a dangerous stereotype, but it's a stereotype of, like, why do I think that a black man wearing nice jewelry must be a basketball player? Associated to this. Yeah. So, like, constantly in the moment challenging those implicit biases that we all have built into us in this white supremacist society. Um, And knowing that, like, if you fuck up, you can do better and move on and learn from it. Know that you're going to make mistakes. You're never going to be a perfect ally. Mm -hmm. But as long as you listen to the people that you claim to be an ally to and take that feedback and move forward better, that's all you can do. Oh, Yeah. You've dropped so many gems <laughs> on this episode. Like, I want... You're coming back because I already have so many different things I'm like, I want to ask you about because, like, you just... I'm learning so much. I'm You're motivating me, too, to be in those spaces yeah. because I shared with you, I haven't always felt comfortable being in those spaces yeah. because I felt I was too white for the black kids, I was too black for the white yeah. kids, and because I was raised in predominantly white areas, I just stuck with what I knew yeah. and I felt uncomfortable to step out of it. And that makes me sad because I, I like aspire to have a group of wonderful, beautiful black yeah. women that are killing it in the game and doing all these things, but I'm scared to sometimes put myself yeah. in those spaces. I've been really lucky. My aunt Mecca that I connected with, with Ancestry and started the nonprofit with, she's been very just like formative in my identity, crucial in the formation of my identity. Like, pushing me to be in spaces that I felt like I maybe shouldn't be in or, you know, like reassuring me that like your identity was taken from you and like it's, you know, you're on a journey now to kind of rediscover it. Um, Like she was the one who connected me with that group last weekend, the writer's retreat. Um, Her friend got me the job at PBS I currently have. Wow. Um, Another black woman, like just so much just like fruitful community growing from that connection. I can Um, see it. Yeah, oh. I'm, I'm blessed. I feel so blessed for that. Mecca. Mm-hmm. What a cool name, too. Yeah, cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely, like I said this last time I spoke to you, but I do want to get more involved, and I do want to yeah. be in, like, build a community being back home now. Like, my dad is Liberian, and I love my family, but it's different than black America. Yeah. Um, so I've always even felt, like, unsure of that even and I wish I've had like a closer connection with my aunts on that side Mm -hmm. like I don't they've never taught me how to do my hair not that Mm -hmm. it's on them too but like they would have been a great resource because my mom didn't know and like I had to learn from a young age I still am figuring it out but like things like that would have been so nice to have somebody just in my corner but yeah building that community I'm definitely that's on my agenda that's on my goal on my vision board for this year yeah. so I think that um so like that retreat last weekend there was a lot more women than men mm-hmm. and um I actually learned in this really small group um I shared like I was nervous before the weekend to come into this space as you know a multiracial light-skinned woman um and this black man very black in the group was like and I was nervous coming in as a man because I thought this was supposed to be for black women you know so like 
knowing that we all come at situations like that probably yeah um and just like having like being humble enough to be like yeah I don't know where I fit in here but like y'all are gonna show me kind of where my place is and you also accept me knowing that you know we come from different yeah yeah okay yeah gonna look into that I'm really gonna do it keep me accountable (laughs) y'all my last question for you is because you do so much great work you've already spoke to it but I just want to make sure I give a time for you to like uh, say what you're working on Mm -hmm. so we can elevate it and everyone listening can go and support it Um, and yeah so what are you what are you doing right now and where can we find it yeah um, so on Instagram um, Sabrina Flugel I am I should spell it maybe S-A-B-R-I-N-A-F-L-U-E-G-E-L um, growing uh, kind of quickly with the views on my Instagram reels. Um, yeah, they're popping. It's a little scary, but yeah. Um, I've been making videos kind of about my family's journey and about like issues of race um, and society through media. Um, so if you're interested in that and like kind of some stories about like um, undertold Black history. Um, you can follow my Instagram, also BIPOC Foodways Alliance. I do all the social media for that. And then, um, yeah, those are the two main ones I would say follow for, like, social justice um, and racial equity content. And other than that, really, like, the big thing is, like, supporting people on social media helps a lot. And my content is all about that, like, self-discovery and how to, like, be a better ally um, in BIPOC spaces. And it's really good, y'all. Like, that's entertaining. And it's, like, quick to the point. Like, you don't... I don't lose interest watching it. Like, sometimes some people are going to get to the point. But, you know, yours is, like, really engaging and entertaining. It's really good. I'm not just saying that. Sometimes I'm joking, too. Like, I use humor as a, like, coping mechanism a lot. So, like, just know some of it comes from, like, I'm being a smartass. Yeah, because I'd be laughing. I'd be laughing because this shit is deep, okay? Like, but, no, definitely follow her. It's so good. Um, You will love it. I was just on there while I was doing some research for the episode to recap. And I learned a lot from it so yay <laughs> well, thank you for being yeah, on. i'm so happy to be here thanks for having you me. killed it dude for